0: Welcome to the Loose Filter Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Sims. I'm excited to share this episode of our podcast with you about recontextualization in music. Recontextualization is a really long word that represents a pretty straightforward idea. As long as human beings have made music, we uh, borrow ideas from one another. We steal things, we imitate things, we're inspired by things, we do our own riff on things and remake them. Uh, but until the last few decades, the technology hasn't allowed the level and sophistication of musical borrowing that we see. And that's why we decided to use the word recontextualization to explore this phenomenon. And uh, along with my co-hosts, Lisette Kninenberg and Dave Gant, in this episode, we sort of chew over this idea of what it means to recontextualize musical ideas and what effect they can have and each of us uh, brings our own take on uh, one aspect or or one sort of kind of musical recontextualization uh, that that was um, uh, significant to us in some way in our musical experience of the world and that we wanted to share with you as you can see at the bottom of this post in the uh, uh, works cited list, I guess, or the examples, listening examples, we give you links to all, a list and links to all the musical examples that you hear in the podcast episode. If you find any of that music uh, engaging or interesting, please click through to those links and acquire that music for yourself to uh, enhance and expand your listening enjoyment and uh your musical experience of the world which is something we always hope happens here at the loose filter project so without any further ado i give you today's podcast episode Hi and welcome to the Loose Filter podcast. I am Stuart, your host, and I am sitting here today with Lisette. Hello. And Dave. Hey. And we're going to have a conversation about recontextualization in music. Say it Uh, ten times fast. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I have to think about that word, sort of like the micro pause before you say it. Recontextualization. We're talking about recontextualization. Like I have to get my mouth ready to say that (laughs) word, otherwise I'll stumble over it every time. Anyway recontextualization in musical work. Uh, what we mean by that is when someone takes an idea and treats it completely differently, or they take a work of art and sort of uh, reinvent the original in some way, and, and you'll hear the different ways that we approach this idea, but it's a, it's an idea in all creative work, and particularly so in music, that has been there ever since human beings have, uh, have musicked. You know, we borrow ideas and we we take things we like from other things and use them as the basis for making our own thing and and uh uh it can be uh, pr- a particularly fascinating to look at thing to look at as its own phenomenon i think
1: it's just something we we do throughout history no matter what kind of style of music no matter when what period in
2: history it's pretty it, much how we make it's music just, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's pretty much a big deal really
0: yeah and it's and i think it's it serves a great device it helps to make things you know uh accessible comprehensible music being a totally abstract medium, we need as many uh, hooks and things, you know, that we can to to make new music familiar to us. And a
1: lot of it's almost that an, we can. an homage. We love it so much that we want to do something with
0: it. This is true. Yeah, I love, yeah, this work is so, like fan fiction. Mm-hmm. This work is so great to me, I want to participate in it in some way. Yeah. So I wanted to start off with our first example to kind of uh, get this topic rolling, talk about some specific instances where uh, we think this uh, is to look at that we think are interesting and uh, uh, my first choice here was a suggestion from Dave yes. uh, and it was a, a number one hit from early 1976 by uh, Sergei Rachmaninoff <laughs> Okay, okay, wait, that wasn't the right example. That was actually That was actually the second movement of Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto, which is a lovely piece of music. A, a widely loved piece of uh, from the classical repertoire, but, but the example I meant to play was uh, the song All by Myself by Eric Carmen
2: When I was young I never needed
1: Taking love was just for fun Those days are gone
0: Of course, that's uh, the verses to to this uh, this song, uh, this this '70s pop ballad, taken directly. The chord progressions and the and the verses taken directly from the rock Mononoff. So on the surface, that's musical borrowing. So the reason that I I wanted to use that example to start off this podcast is because it's also an example of something more subtle and a little deeper, which is recontextualization, uh, because. Eric Carmen not only borrowed the material but he translated it into a totally different medium and made that melody which is beautifully played by a clarinet solo in the original into a different kind of affect into a, a little more soulful a little more you know not totally different but it really takes that material I think to a level beyond borrowing that that, that you know it's a new kind it's a new kind of music even though it's the same material
1: Yeah and yeah. a, a lot of artists like to do that, and I think it's one of the most brilliant ways to, like we said earlier, either pay an homage or to kind of start that creative spark.
0: Well, and it lets you do something new while giving a listener something familiar at yeah. the same time. Well, and I don't mean,
2: it's like if you're looking for some melodramatic schmaltz, Rachmaninoff has it covered. You don't need. Right. to Why make reinvent up new the wheel? Stuff, you know, <laughs>
0: you don't need to reinvent that particular wheel. That's a good point. So, I, I, uh, each of us in this uh, this conversation here, brought examples of uh, our own take on this idea of recontextualization, since it's such a common phenomenon in musical work. And uh, uh, my take on this topic was, for me, it was transformative in the sense that. Recontextualized musical ideas opened my ears up to new styles and new uh, uh, artists and new composers that I had known but didn't like, like previously. A, like a doorway, yeah, like a doorway or a bridge, maybe, um, to to let me get into that person's sound world uh, in a way I hadn't before, right? So, okay, what I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, the the one of the composers. Uh, uh, artists early on for me that was like all my friends got and I just didn't seem to get on that train was Frank Zappa. So in college and and immediately after college, my closest friends who are excellent musicians just adored Zappa and even put some of his repertoire on their senior recitals and did big arrangements and all this stuff. And I thought, yeah, okay, you know, that's wacky music. And, but I never, <laughs> I never got anywhere close to my peers Response to it, and that always bothered me because I respect their judgment and their taste very much. Zappa can be pretty intense. Yeah, I felt like I was missing out. Like, what is you know going on? And then a few years ago, uh, uh, a friend gave me the recording by Ensemble Ambrosius uh, called the Zappa album. And uh, the interesting thing is that Ensemble Ambrosius is a period instrument Renaissance consort. They play Renaissance instruments and mostly Renaissance music. And apparently they were Zappa fans at the same time in sort of real life. And they decided to put those two things together. And so I heard this version of G-Spot Tornado. Well, let, let me, hold on. Let me play the original first. And this is on Sinclair, so it's programmed music. It's computer music. And it is, it's intense and kinetic and weirdo sounding, I think, if you don't know it. This is Frank Zappa, uh, G-Spot Tornado so i hear that now and i'm like man that's fabulous (laughs) it's exciting and and it's weird and in all the best ways, but like I remember when I first heard it, just the initial sound world. I mean, I was a band and orchestra kid, you know, I was an acoustic music kid. So the 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 electronic environment was a little off putting to me. It's it made me have more media associations. Like yeah. this should be on a video game or something, or in a commercial, or in a commercial, yeah. yeah, more than this is music I should sit and listen to, right? And then the other thing is that the the percussion parts, because it's computer music, are so. Of course, now you know this was you know early mid eighties, I think mm-hmm. jazz. Right? From hell. You know, you hearing, have a hearing drums go, drums. Brrr, you know, it was so distracting that I wouldn't listen to parts of the composition like I normally would like, you know, the bass line, the harmonic motion. And it's all it's all in there. I mean, it's a, a fully composed piece until I heard a version that was sort of slowed down and all acoustic. And I could hear it as a piece of music better, like out of its idiom, like I could hear like the skeleton of the essence uh, of that piece more. And suddenly you know it because it was that bridge was there it was familiar to me i went like holy cow this is this is a really cool piece it's like a
1: translation of a foreign language
0: yes yes except one that allowed me to then like understand magically the, the understand the original yeah so here's yeah. the here's a little bit of the ensemble ambrosius version <laughs> So, okay, first, the the super kinetic drum part is out. So yeah. you can hear the guts of the composition, the bass line. Inter- right. So that's, that's a little more to the front, and you get, okay, that groovy stuff is going on. It's slower, so I was able to hear it a little yeah. better.
2: And it just for, for you personally, I mean, it wouldn't be true for everybody. Um, some people, electronic timbres are much more their native tongue, but for you... You know these instruments, you can separate
0: voices out a lot more easily. You exactly. Can, it gives you a better idea of what's going exactly. on. Exactly. And, I mean, you can change, like, this kind of example. This is my sort of total take on this recon re- recontextualizing thing. See, I didn't prepare my mouth <laughs> that time, so I screwed it up. That's tough. Uh, <laughs> so it, you can change, like, from whatever flavor to whatever flavor, whatever style to whatever style, but hearing musicians translate a work and, like, keep the essence of it but change everything else about it to me was it was an, in that particular instance was, was an epiphany and it did it again with electronic music when I heard the alarm will sound album Acoustica, which is arrangements all of Aphex Twin music. And I had listened to Aphex Twin and had had lots of friends who love his music and recommended it and so forth. Again, a little bit alien. I couldn't quite get into it until I heard uh, this arrangement of Finger Bib from the Richard D. James album. This is played by Alarm Will Sound. Kind of rings uh, a lot of the same bells for me that uh, the you know the uh, earlier pair of examples uh, did, but this one is a much more faithful reproduction mm-hmm. of the original track. So I'm hearing the whole composition, not like the translation on on G Spot Tornado. But what what was really revelatory about revelatory to me about this recontextualization is hearing this piece and all the ones that are on that album that Alarm Will Sound did. It's a terrific album, by the way, everybody listening. Uh, uh, let me hear those all, those terrific compositions. So then when I went and got the originals, versions of a lot of these tracks, particularly from the Richard D. James album, it it allowed me to hear qualities of electronic music that I had been deaf to before, being an acoustic musician by training and experience, like the fact that because it's in an essentially sculpted environment, every sound can exist in its own sound world. So every layer of your composition can have different resonance or envelopes or filters or all kind anything, infinite amounts of...
1: Well, it can be the same material, but the context is just infinitely changing.
0: Right, you and every part of the material can be completely changed, exactly, totally sculpted. And so, because I got the piece in my brain, hearing a chamber orchestra play it, then my, suddenly the, all those parts that are unique to electronic sound, creation of a composition of sound in an, an electronic environment like they lit up to my ears they were highlighted i guess because i wasn't listening to the composition as much anymore and so those other parts of an electronic music composition were revealed to me like it was it really like shined this this spotlight on this stuff and so, it allowed
1: you to appreciate a lot of things that you maybe missed before
0: was like deaf to, almost literally. Like, yeah, it just didn't register on my perception as an, an aspect of this means of musical creation. Like I just didn't, I didn't get it. I wasn't hip to it. So this is what the original sounds like. See if you can hear the difference comparing the acoustic performance to the original. Right. It's, it's just, it's joyful music. It's wonderful. And I was able to like revel in all those parts of the medium that I didn't get before. Like, and it was just like, for me, then it was down the rabbit hole. Now, you know, like my, the scales fell off my e- ears, I guess. <laughs> And so, gross. <laughs> gross. <laughs> and so, so, so my ears were opened up, you know, the electronic medium had been kind of made less uh, alien to me. And also the things, the expressive and creative possibilities that that medium allowed that other media didn't were also like opened up to me by these recontextualizations, which was pretty amazing. You know, it was transformational for me. Well, it's yeah. wonderful
1: when you can appreciate something that you weren't able to appreciate before, which leads directly into my idea of recontextualization and what it really means for music. Um, for for me, when I think about music being reinvented or recontextualized, to me the the first thing that instantly comes to mind is is a cover, and there are so many great covers of so many different types of music. Um, but what I really love are covers that take an idea. An original idea and really they make it their own or they, they highlight some sort of thing that you didn't really catch the first time. And so when you go back and listen to the original, it uh, really kind of shifts your perspective. So shifts, you're, you're shifts. talking
0: about like not a cover, like not somebody who does a version of the recording that we all know, but somebody who takes the source material and like what? Re- and it's like still, creates it's a- still
1: the same song, but really kind of let me give you a good example. So my so so the first one that came to mind for me um was Such Great Heights, which is a, a song by the Postal Service, um, and is very well known for its its intro being very uh kind of kinetic and Oh fun. yeah I know this track. This track yeah, was in a
0: bunch of ads and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah great. Okay.
2: Thank <laughs>
1: Um, very rhythmic kind of track that uh you get drawn to um kind of the the, the beats and the sounds. I mean they're almost these fun raindrops that you feel are falling around you, these sonic raindrops.
0: Right. It is a great texture. And, yeah. And, yeah. and, and so that yeah that And texture, that melody. Ba, 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 da, da. I mean it's like super it's very happy and happy. Draws and, you oh, yeah. in. It's great. Um
1: and, and so all of these textures happening in in the song just kind of pull you in and, and to be perfectly honest, I didn't really pay attention to the vocal line much at all. Because, like I said, that texture just draws you in so powerfully. Um, but then I heard this this cover done by Iron and Wine that was actually released as a B-side to uh, the uh, the original single. Um, and it really, really changed my perspective.
0: You will see us waving from such grave Come down now. They'll say. Yeah, yeah.
2: But everything looks perfect from far away. Come down. Now.
1: Very different. Very different. Um it's it's very intimate in a way. It's
0: hard to recognize. Those is the same song.
1: It really almost sounds like a I
0: mean, completely different... I you have to different... pay attention to, k- to catch... Wait a minute. Um, <laughs> I, I think I know this song.
1: Yeah. It, it really is, is such a radical why is shift. That, so
0: why is the setting so different? What's um,
1: the... Well, it seems to me that the, the second one, the cover by Iron and Wine, is really driven a lot more by the lyrical content, which you don't really catch.
0: Okay. Very. I never... I have to admit, we've had this conversation before. It doesn't listen to words. I don't listen to words. I'm an inveterate instrumentalist. You're a vocalist. So... I have a bad <laughs> habit... Of listening to a song 800 times and never paying attention to the Well, and
1: shockingly enough, as a vocalist, usually I'm good at at picking up lyrics. But um, with this song, the the cover made me truly listen to the lyrics very closely, and that's the way that it's designed. it puts the vocal line front and center. Yeah, absolutely. But you find that this is actually such a sweet love song and you don't even notice it you don't even notice that it's one of the sweetest in love the original songs. setting you don't in, know. exactly and the original well, and, you don't really notice that that's happening yeah
2: well and, uh just uh, sort of a sidetrack it's like you're talking about how how thick the texture is in the original track and aren't they called the postal service because uh the singer was would just write the lyrics and, and the melody and they would uh, the other guy was working on the like the the textures. It was just another. Oh, and then layer. they would put them together, and they, they called the postslurs because they would mail it to each other. Right? Yeah, so, so oh, they would layer okay. them. Okay, yeah, because be, kind of well, like... Ben Gibbard, yeah, was yeah, yeah, was
0: yeah. Uh, Death Cab for Cutie,
2: right? Yeah, and so they did this over the mail. So I, I think that's why you get such like <laughs> there's so much focus on the on the texture first because that was done first, and then it's like here. Give me a song for this. So that's a where tune the shift to really put on lies. Top of this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the so the second one by Iron and Wine is driven by that lyrical content, and so even though it is the same song, the same progression, the same melody, I mean, everything. The, it's it's bones let's make a song out same. of what these lyrics it's say. Exactly. It, yeah. 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 The whole mood of the song just shifts when you really focus on that message, and so hearing the original now, um, I I am not just pulled in by that texture anymore. I am very keenly aware of of the message, and I. Love it now even more because not only do I hear this exciting texture, but I hear this beautiful love song that I never really
0: caught. So oh, so it's actually giving. Now you went back to the original now, and you have another. And I have a deeper. You have another level of love exactly. for that original. Oh yeah, because now you go. Oh, this is a love song. <laughs> I should have paid attention. So it made what I thought was
1: already a rich musical experience even richer. Even richer. Um, and I, I definitely don't... get that experience.
0: Wait, so so the the I'm sorry, I know you're going to your next example, but so so the the recontextualization. For flipped you back to the actually recontextualize the original exactly. in your perception. That's,
1: that's to me what it what By being really such represents. a different
0: approach to the source material. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, so and, and, and that I, I like get it. very intensely also with uh, Hey Ya, which is a song that I love and a song that also makes Total most people, classic. Everybody knows that song.
0: One, two, three, uh. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this I know for sure.
1: Is very groove
0: based. Is that it's n- is that track ever not fun to listen to? Yeah, I, I mean, so. yeah, okay.
1: it's always great. Um, but one thing that I do notice about it is that it it is very danceable and uh, beat driven, oh, and that's summer music all the way. Uh, Absolutely, you know. sure. Um, and so when I heard uh, a cover done of that song by Obadiah Parker, um, it really opened my eyes to the original song by Outcast um, because. I had never noticed much like with such great heights that the lyrical content of the original was actually quite intense and deep. And I, like I said, it just went oh, completely over my head. You really, honestly, mostly just think, "Hey, yeah, really fun. They're just dancing around. It's fun content, right?" But but the lyrics actually may surprise
0: you. It's just it's it is it's 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 actually a pretty. Bleak bleak but wise, you know, observation on emotional truths in adult life. Obadiah (laughs)
1: Parker very brilliantly brings that to the forefront of his puppet. I don't mess around because she loves me so, and this I know for sure. But does she
2: really wanna but can't stand to see me walk out the door? Can't stand to fight the feeling, cause the thought alone is me right now. Thank God for Mom and Dad for sticking together, cause you don't know her.
1: So it's actually kind of heartbreaking and, and sad yeah. in a way, and you really think about that song as a Party song and everyone's gonna shake it like a Polaroid picture. It's really fun, and you never really realize. My heart
0: hurts after I it, listen to that it's Obadiah very, Parker yeah. version, and it's. I feel like the Obadiah Parker version is the honest version of that song because the music sounds like what that song is about.
1: It's very authentic and <laughs> yeah. genuinely it's, performed. Yeah,
0: the, the emo, but the emotional tenor of the lyrics and the emotional tenor of the setting. Uh, are in line with one another in Obadiah Parker's version and and out of course and that's of course what there's a level talk about like in your previous example reflecting back to the original where it it discovering the cover deepened my appreciation for outcasts uh, original because I think uh, uh, that's an Andre 3000 song right I think that that was an in, obviously an intentional choice he wrote the song I mean so so he knew that his setting was a direct. You know, it's almost a direct done contradiction slightly to slightly
1: tongue in cheek.
0: Exactly, and, and so
1: you, when you when yeah. you go back and listen to the original, you're kind of surprised. So it at- gives you
0: a deeper critical reading on the original because it's like it's almost like he's saying, "Sorry to interrupt." It's almost like he's saying, uh, uh, "This is what we do." We know these truths and they hurt so we ignore them and dance.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the 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 context that it originally comes in is almost kind of his coping mechanism for that lyrical content. <laughs> um, and so philosophical you- exegesis of outcast <laughs> here on the Loose
0: Filter podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so
1: when you listen to the, the the Parker version, you really kind of it's, it's shocking, yeah, um, very jarring. That's a when great bear. That's a great bear. Um, and then I, this brings me to my last um example that that I that I thought of, um, which is Paranoid Android, um, a classic song by Radiohead.
0: I'm sorry, I've never heard of that band. Mm-hmm. Who is this? Are they from? Where are they from?
1: Um, I think Africa. Poland.
0: Poland. 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 <laughs> the great Polish <Poland. laughs>
2: <Poland. laughs> <laughs> rock. <great> <laughs> Says What's
1: so to me, that's a pretty... Quintessential Radiohead song. It really, I think, captures a lot of their sound. And when I think of Radiohead, that kind of I- is one of the first tracks that comes to mind. Um, oh, definitely. The large-scale
0: yeah. form, the transformational texture. Yeah, oh yeah. Um,
1: but but one other quality of it is that it comes in kind of our traditional rock band package. There's the drums, there's the electric bass, the electric guitar, there's the vocalist. Um, and, and so when I heard this tribute done by Sia who is an absolutely incredible musical artist um it really kind of broke apart um the original and made me see almost like with your example Stuart um, it made me hear lines and maybe hear textures and things happening in the song that I really didn't quite catch the first time. Hmm. Um, and uh, the way that Sia kind of takes the whole texture and, and opens it up, she brings in strings and does away with a lot of the rhythmic elements. Um, the original is very driving, um, you know, and the the especially Sia as it progresses, <laughs> yeah, um, it really moves and pushes. And the Sia version is is on contrast very open and almost floating um, and so she really draws out some of these lines that you didn't quite catch in the driving motion of the original.
0: So you think like to your ears it's uh, <clears throat> this recontextualization uh, is, is uh, like getting inside the original and playing around with aspects of it
1: yeah and it while letting quickly, some
0: others fall away.
1: Yes. And like a honing it, down. Exactly. And changes its mood and turns it into this almost like dream like haunting texture um that you like I said, you don't really think about with the original. From
0: same material it's like recomposing the same material it's more well it's like it's beyond arranging you know she she re she reinvents that material
1: yeah and and just the the acoustic sound compared to the original um especially her incorporation of things like uh the the choir at the end um there's there's just this like I said, this almost haunting aspect to it, uh, that when I now go back and listen to the original, much like with the other tracks, I have this deeper appreciation for it.
2: Listening to the examples he brought along today, I'm, I'm noticing that all of them kind of follow the same pattern, where we've got a lot more uh, of a dense texture and timbre uh, in the original track, and then your covers are sort of really pared down, kind of indie folk versions of them
1: they definitely take something that's very thick and rhythmic and break it down into something a lot more intimate and open
2: but it's just it it, it's really evident how much um that all these different genres of of music making really use the same elements i mean you can they they there are chords and a melody on top Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i mean it's uh, as dense of a texture as we're listening to in the originals it's still a, a pop song and it uses the same kind of elements and uh, in light of recontextualization, it, it just when Stuart first brought this uh, subject to me, it, I started thinking about how much we, we reuse music, especially in popular music, because we we use the same bass lines over and over again you know right same chord progressions I mean it's like well, and
0: her hers, her examples yeah. point that out because you can change it so dramatically and still recognize it as the same song yeah pretty easily in fact because the the because it's still the bones the same, are the same. Yeah, yeah the bones are under the hood it's the same or whatever yeah yeah whatever yeah and, and just
2: uh thinking about this is uh you know a good idea is still a good idea and so we keep on using those same ones over and over again there's so many songs that are built on like the same set of chord progressions. Well, you can you look can, up that yeah. old, YouTube has a bunch there's, of
0: mixes of the pocklebell yeah, chord progression. And, and, that and, all these pop and, songs, and, uh, use, "Let It yeah.
2: Be," and yeah, and we we reuse these same things over and over again. And uh, with with the changes in technology that we've had, uh, samples get used, and that's when you just take a piece of of a, of a, of a pre recorded piece of music and use it over and over again. And there's two that just like you hear all the time. So the
0: the samples are sorry the the samples are. Like it's it's you're saying that it's the same thing we've been doing. We yeah, just can like literally do it now.
2: Yeah, but it's instead of taking the instructions and using the same instructions <laughs> over, we're actually it's already been taking done. Thing, you've got a the main product thing, and making a new product out it, of that. Okay, okay. And so there's there's two samples that, that immediately come to mind that you hear over and over again. They're drum drum breaks. Um there's the the amen break, which is just
0: used over and over, and we can
2: have a, a listen to that.
0: Yeah. This is the. Uh, it's from what track? Now let's give it's a little a, context. It's this Almond is the brother. original. This is an a clip of music from an original track, 1969.
2: Yeah, it's uh, Almond Brother by the uh, Winston brother, uh, the Winstons. Yeah. <laughs> that all over the place it's been used so many times it's so times. familiar yeah because you got it you speed it up i mean that's the basis of, of a lot of breakbeat and then slow down there's a lot of hip-hop these i mean pretty much like the genre of drum and bass and and jungle that's kind of built around this
0: sample let's listen to. That. i've got those examples actually this is what it sounds like sped up and this is what it sounds like slowed down
2: I'm sure you've heard those a thousand times and it's, it's shocking it's so amazing that it's not like everybody knows this song you know the, I, this until recording you brought it yeah to the
0: the recording session i didn't know this but as you've a, heard its that discre- drum
2: break a billion times and uh, it, yes. it, it's it's such an amazing and wonderful thing that like something that's not that's somewhat obscure like that can become such a part of our like musical dna our lingua franca,
0: our yeah absolutely all over the world now yeah. of course too not just here in the u.s because it's internet now so absolutely and then another uh, one of the
2: famous drum breaks that gets used over and over is funky drummer james brown
1: band i wanna walk the throw.
0: one two three four get it
1: I don't see why that would ever be called the funky drummer. It's not funky at all. (laughs) It's (laughs) so funky. It's delightfully funky.
0: It's the origin of funk, right? That's like that (laughs) moment. And that's
2: another one. Maybe you haven't heard that particular track if you're not a James Brown fan. Um, but at least that one's from that, a famous, yeah, you know, was, group of artists a well group known. of recordings, it's, it's, right? It doesn't have obscure. Origins. I have a shot at knowing that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but that one's everywhere too.
2: Yeah, and, and so it, it's just it's really neat that this it's, it's not just um like these these pitches together um are are part of our our, our language, but it's like it, this
0: performance, this uh, like it, one guy behind yeah. this drum set in this moment was captured on tape. And now it's, and now it's just part it, of
2: part of our language. Yeah. It's gone
0: viral in a way that no performer could ever intend. Yeah, right. It's just it's like th- 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 that specific discrete sound. Is, sounds have taken on yeah. lives and of their own. That's, ama- that's remarkable. That's well, and we've
1: really yeah. only had this musical ability for you know a very short period of time in comparison to all of yeah. the history of music.
2: Yeah, and it, it comes out of just like pretty much taking the turntables and playing the breakover well, on one that was, one and then playing a, on the other one that's the example you want to talk
0: about from 1996 you talk about being a recent technology the first
2: well yeah the, uh, this is a DJ Shadows introducing it's a fantastic album it's classic you should have it but um, it was the first album constructed entirely of samples um, just on an MPC 60 and uh, yeah and he created every
0: track on the album yeah there's it's, it's nothing a collage of found sounds yeah. And I feel like I have a lot of work to do still, you know. I'm a student of the drums. And I'm also a teacher of the drums too. <laughs> okay, so listening to that now with your framing, mm-hmm. it it and I have to ask this as as the <laughs> representative academic at the table, I guess. Is this like a new version or a contemporary version of musique concrète? Well... <laughs> Does this fall under that heading of this is sculpted music? Well, I mean... Rather, as opposed to like like composed in the It sort of sense depends
2: of, on your definition of musique concrète. If you want to take a really broad definition, wherein it's just any sounds that are, you know, it's, it's anything that's made of, Found sound, I think I mean, that's the appropriate definition. Yeah, yeah. then yeah. then
0: really isn't all the
2: music we make
0: today. <laughs> well, yes, and <laughs> musicologists music do make that point. They say technically any recorded music, yeah, is can be properly defined as musique concrete because it's fixed on tape or you know, yeah, what's it's made data, a, it's, it's made fixed, fixed on your elements recording media, that are, right?
2: Are being rearranged on
0: but i meant in the sense of like the the uh, mid century you know late modernist early postmodernist whoever they are you know who were making what we would call capital m capital c music concrete mm-hmm. like the folks that paul mccartney went and hung out with before they he Sounds and john Hanna, before they made revolution the nine yeah, yeah sort of taking found objects and making sculpting your music out of that Yeah. that kind of proper music concrete that we learn about in in our music history courses this seems like kind of a it's found you know, objects found in a used record Computer store. internet <laughs> version of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, I, I just uh, find it quite interesting. Well, I don't recognize anything on here. You know, these aren't these aren't going to be samples that you like. Oh yeah, well that's such and such. It's not you like know? girl talk. No, not at all. Where like, where these... you have the
1: same idea? It's all sampled sounds, but you recognize almost all of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: I guess in that way, I, I guess it's, it's, a, it's a curating of things that you probably aren't exposed to, but the, you you know, uh, I mean, the sounds sound familiar. It sounds familiar, but it's definitely not. I mean, I, I, I've, I've downloaded the uh, Who Sampled app and checked what these samples are.
0: I don't know. Well, the but vast like that, that narrator, music. that male narrator voice comes in in that clip you played, and you know, I have no idea what that's from. I mean,
2: it's, a, it's an interview with this. Uh, but it's I, it's I could peg it. Yeah.
0: It's probably from the 1950s. Like I, I recognize the trope. So I feel like I feel like Shadow plays with it has like, a
1: familiarity, well, he, but also mystery. a like, horror movie he,
2: soundtrack. In,
0: yeah, in he that plays album, with and... like he plays with cultural recognition, but not. Girl talk is like there's a whole other level where he's wanting you to go. Oh, that's from this. Almost like a game. Oh, that because he yeah. uses these highly recognizable samples, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I I think that's sort of the whole point with that since <laughs> that it's like that you're supposed to? It's like listening to top forty so for the last even though it's the years. same means
0: as shadow. Yeah. You know, it's got it's got this it's different, a completely
2: different idea. Right,
0: yeah. right. That could have only evolved, I think, out of shadow's work and other artists like him in the yeah. '90s and early aughts, because girl talk is you know last ten years. I
2: but I like the, the the point of with all this is that in this the recontextualization is the art. It that's what the music is. It's it's uh, it's not even just. A, Recontextualization, recontextualization as an element that's what it is or as a means yeah, yeah it's it's
0: the thing and then what about this whole aspect of things that's um not sampling pers- necessarily but mashups where you're well, taking that,
2: that is sampling
0: but yeah like it's like macro sampling like yeah. right? where you're taking a whole one whole work and another whole work and trying to yeah. Longitudinally. Not just these
1: tiny little snippets, like mosaics, almost. This is really yeah. taking two distinct pieces of art and bringing them together and in a very thoughtful, right. meaningful way.
0: Right. That that seems to me like kind of the next level evolution, right? Yeah, so like, that, the well, yeah kind of like the Gray album. Yeah, like the Gray album, like Danger. That was the first one that like came on. I think most people's conscious yeah. that got huge, and it was totally legal. You couldn't buy anywhere. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was only you know friend to friend downloadable. But so good. 99
2: pounds, but a bitch ain't one. If you have girl bad for you, son. I got ninety-nine pounds, but a bitch ain't
0: one. Hit me years ninety-four and my trunk is And that kind of like I think sparked the the popular imagination and and got because in the nineties, you know, like I would I was listening to DJ Shadow and I was listening to some of the early sample artists, and I remember particularly Paul's boutique, produced mm-hmm. by the Dust Brothers that early. Uh, earlier Beastie Boys album which was was a pretty big deal also because of its use of sampling but uh, it wasn't it hadn't hit kind of the mainstream cultural awareness and uh, you know imagination. Back then
2: a a racks uh, or a hardware sampler you got a sample time of like Sixty seconds altogether, you <laughs> <Right>. know, <laughs> not days. So like the it tools, is now. the tools
0: are much better. So yeah. a lot more people use the tools; well, they're easier take to use. Better at large, really. But and I don't. I think if it hadn't been for that work, if it hadn't been for this, like you called it, said the collage uh, sampling, then we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have been ready, kind of, to hear the Gray album or the mashups. The one that I heard lately that I found, and it's really compelling because it opens up a whole new kind of musical creativity. Because you get these. You're working with cultural artifacts, so now you're in dialogue with a culture, with a culture in a direct way that you And you're creating you weren't these before. original
1: hybrids of... Right,
0: of and you're taking into account what associations your listeners might have with the source material you're you're choosing in a specific way. So while that not couldn't. actually
1: originally creating the art itself, it still is original in a sense.
0: I think, it, Oh, it's absolutely well, it, creative. It, sure. Yeah. Sure. Kind of art. Finding samples, finding chords, finding, I mean, it's all material, you know, that you can sculpt or paint or whatever, compose or, 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 whatever from. So I don't think, I don't question the legitimacy of the source material. What is interesting to me though, is that when you choose samples or, Mashups as a mode of creation, or or a part of your mode of musical creation, there's like a cultural component that isn't there, or isn't as focused. When I'm using a major scale, when you're there creating is a, a new, cultural yeah. context and meaning to a major scale and to all that stuff, but it is not specific like a Rolling Stone sample is. Like mashing up a a contemporary multi-platinum Black American hip hop artist. With the kings of the British invasion rock ni- of the 1960s and, and showing that their music plays well together. There's there's a lot of art making in that that's interesting, but whether Danger Mouse intended it or not, there can easily be read some really fun and, uh, I think, um, nuanced cultural commentary. Yeah. That comes with using those sound sources.
2: And I, I think that the, the
0: diversity of sound sources being used in this type of
2: music shows like what a deep well of of popular culture we draw on now. Like like the amount of sounds and the variety of, of genres that most listeners are used to and, and like ready to have in their music. It's it's very broad. It's, it's, it's probably broader than it's ever been. Well, we've you know? reached <laughs> this almost
1: omnivorousness in just what we take in. We used to really define ourselves by the genres that we listened to. I mean, it really was a source of identity. But now, That's what the marketing
0: told us to do. Yeah.
1: Now you can go from listening to like throat singing to Kanye West, and nobody will question it. Just right. It's not, it's, it's
0: not weird. It's not weird. Yeah. Well, I noticed this working with you know uh, teenagers. I mean, I don't teach teenagers every day, but I work with them in clinic settings, type workshop settings. And I'll do these – I'll conduct these honor groups over several days, you know, and I always take time during that process to just talk to the kids. And one of the things I talk to them about is, is their musical worlds, like just, with, just to know, just to ask, what, what are you listening to? What do you like? What do you – and, you know, 15 years ago when I started doing this kind of stuff – the answers were predictable in the sense that they were like you described, that They would be, you know, sort of teenage flavors of taste throughout the group, but little clear pockets of identity yeah. <laughs> in, in their choices, you know. Um, now, when I ask that question, I have no idea what these kids are going to well, answer. Well, and
1: a lot of my high school students that I teach every day are, are really proud of the diversity right? that they are yeah. into.
0: Like, I had a kid last year raise his hand and say, Portuguese Fado music. Like fifteen-year-old kid, <laughs> which is wonderful. It's great music to get into, but you know, t- even ten years ago, it would have it would have been hard for that kid to even know that music you, existed.
2: Yeah, and now now you can, let alone. I have without sixteen bursting, playlists. You can, you can of, go on YouTube and and like if you haven't heard something, you you don't know you want to buy it yet. You, you can just go and learn. It. I
0: mean, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember when record stores remember those artifacts started putting in listening stations. That was revelatory. You mean yeah. I can listen to the album before I buy it? You know, that was crazy. Um, uh, I yeah. wanted to mention that the recent mashup uh, that has caught my attention that I found really compelling was put out. I'm sure it's, again, <laughs> I don't – well, he's selling it on Bandcamp, so I don't know if how totally illegal it may or may not be. But the, the artist is Aesop Waits, and the album is called Tom Shall Pass, and it's a mashup of Tom Waits, the, you know, uh, rock – iconic rock artist, uh, eclectic, sort of weirdo individualist. Uh, uh, his instrumentals, they're the beats, and the vocals on the track are the the uh, uh, MC, uh, Aesop Rock. And it's amazing. It's
1: Fantastically. so. You really would never expect this combination to work as
0: well as it does. Same thing I thought about the Grey album, but this one is even more compelling to me because the... Styles they illuminate each other. Like it's helping me hear Tom Waits in a way that that I hadn't paid attention to.
1: Like with my examples, exactly. It really really kind of makes you go back and listen to the original format, and you see it in a new light. You see so many different things that you never noticed before. (laughs) Nah, man, I'm done.
0: notice that a phobia is appropriately procreate. Woke up on a ghost farm focused on growth groceries
1: when they aren't telling stories. They're multiplying grossly on a lawn. Let them loiter
0: never let us... Them... Yeah, and I guess with my examples at the top of the, the episode, too, same deal. Recontextualization yeah. can really be such a... power. Which is why, like Dave, you said we do it all the time. Yeah. And what's so
1: exciting is not only do you get this awesome new work, but you also get to go back and reappreciate that original work you love, so it's like you get the best of both worlds.